Good morning. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Josh Kruger. They call me the pit. Yeah, the pastor in training for a long time. I'm still in it. Here's, the, here's some of the best news so far for me this morning. I came to church without a jacket. Praise the Lord. I'm so very pleased with that. I'm not a winter person. If you come from Africa, you like summer. Yes, don't like winter. We are continuing our message series on Mark, and we find ourselves in Mark 5 this morning. And in this passage this morning, we're going to see two people who find themselves in desperate situations, in hopeless situations. We'll see them in situations where they find themselves in a place where human intervention will not work anymore and where they are desperate and needy. But I want to draw your attention to something in this passage. I want you to look for something. I want you to open your ears and listen for this. That although these two people both were in hopeless situations, neither of them were without hope. And what you will see is that their hope and the source of their hope was Jesus Christ. And so although they were in hopeless situations, they had hope because of Jesus. And my prayer this morning would be that Jesus will allow you and me to see the measure of hope available to us to be hopeful in hopeless situations. And that we can trust him because he is worthy to be trusted. Please open your Bibles to Mark 5 and read with me from verse 21 through verse 43. And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hand on her so she may be made well and live. And he went with him. And a great crowd followed him and thronged about him, And there was a woman who had had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better but rather grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I touch even his garments... I will be made well. And immediately the blood flow, the flow of blood dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, 
perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, Who touched me? And he looked around to see who it who had done this. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. While he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not fear, only believe. And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. They came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he had entered, he said to them, Why are you making a commotion and weeping? This child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But he put them aside, outside, and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him, And went in where the child was. Taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talita kumi, which means little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking, for she was 12 years of age. And they were overcome with amazement. And he strictly charged them that no one should know this and told them to give her something to eat. In Mark chapter 4 and previously in Mark chapter 5, we saw Jesus performing two miracles. We saw Jesus' command over nature in calming the storm. And in that, he was teaching his disciples that faith in God was expected. And we saw what Chris read this morning when he said, Why are you so afraid? Have you no faith? Faith was expected. We also saw Jesus' authority over the demonic realm and over evil when he delivered a man possessed by many demons. Here Jesus showed that faith is a gift. This man was completely helpless. And Jesus had to deliver him before he could place his faith in the Son of God. Today we will see in this passage Jesus' power over sickness and death. We will see two miracles performed in response to striking expressions of faith in the midst of hopelessness. 
And so we've seen that faith is expected. We've seen that faith is a gift. And now we will see that faith is required of our Lord. And so we'll be looking at the parallels in the two separate but very similar stories in this narrative story that we have just read. And we will look at those stories and we will see the hopelessness that was portrayed in there. We will see the faith that it was expressed by these two people. And we will see the power that they received because of their faith. The two main characters in this story was Jairus... And the woman who was never named in this passage, the woman who had a discharge of blood, both of these people were caught up in these utterly hopeless situations. Jairus, according to verse 22, was one of the rulers of the synagogue. Now, these rulers were laymen. They were not rabbis. Many of them were Pharisees, and they oversaw the affairs of, of the synagogue that included the services they planned the services it also included them teaching in the synagogue so we can assume that Jairus was a man of importance he was a man of prominence he was a well-respected man in that community as a ruler of the synagogue but Jairus found himself in a hopeless situation His daughter was about to die. She was not just sick. She was desperately ill. She was literally on death's doorstep, about to breathe her last breath, hopeless. And then in verse 35, we see his situation turning even worse when someone from his household came and said, Your daughter has died. Why bother the teacher any further? And here it went completely hopeless. It seems so lost because death for us as humans seems so final. And Jairus was utterly hopeless. The other story of the woman, well, we see her having a severe medical condition for 12 years. And for 12 years, according to the scriptures, she had suffered under many physicians. She had gone from doctor to doctor to find healing for her disease. And what she was seeking was a medical treatment for a condition that really in that time they had no treatment for. You see, the practices that they performed in that time was crude and was painful. And for 12 years, she went from doctor to doctor and she spent all that she had. And here we find this desperate woman, poor. And as verse 26 put it, she was no better, but grew worse. Imagine the despair. But there was something more about this woman that made her story hopeless. You see, according to Leviticus 15, Old Testament law declared her as ceremonially unclean because of the flow of blood that she experienced. It meant that this woman could not be part of the community of Israel. She was unclean as a leper. 
and nobody could touch her or her bedding or her clothes or could sit where she sat because if they would do that, they too would become unclean. Even for her to be in public required her to announce, I am unclean, I am unclean. And so what we see is that she did not just suffer physical misery, but she suffered social and religious torment because she was banished from the presence of the people of God. For 12 years, this is where she found herself. Completely hopeless situations that we see in both of these people But this is where we see, church, their hope in the midst of hopelessness. Because what we see in both of these people is an unshakable faith in the midst of their hopelessness. And so when we look at Jairus, we see his faith twice in expressed in this passage. The first time was when he approached Jesus in the midst of a large crowd. Falling at Jesus' feet. Now let's be clear here. This was no timid approach. This was a bold and a an countercultural approach. It was countercultural because as a leader of the synagogue, he would never fall at the feet of any man. And whether he knew it or not, what he was doing at that moment, he was saying, Jesus, you are not just a man. You are the son of God. And his approach could not have been timid. Remember that there was crowds around Jesus. He had to really press in to get to him. It may have been loud. And he had to, had to proclaim loudly, Jesus! And then fall down. And when the people saw that, in utter amazement, the ruler of the synagogue falling down at his feet... This is when he proclaimed, it's my daughter. She's desperately sick. Jesus, she's at the point where she's about to die. I need you to come. I need you to come and lay your hand on her because if you do, I know that she will get well and I know that she will live. Jesus, we've tried many things. You are the only one. My hope is in you only. I trust you alone. Amazing expression of the faith that he had in Jesus. We see his faith again later in verse verse 35 when it was announced that his daughter was dead. And it's interesting what happens here. When, when they told him his daughter was dead, Jesus immediately perceived that this would be an amazing challenge to his faith, that his daughter had died. Jesus turned to him immediately and said to him, Do not fear, only believe. And we see his expression of faith here by doing what Jesus said. He believed. And the evidence for that is that he did not turn away and say, Jesus, this is final. This is over. You can go now. No, he continues to believe. Let's continue on to my house because I know if you will touch her, even if she's dead, she will live. It's an expression of his faith that he had. 
And then we turn to the woman and we see similar expressions of faith in her life. Look with me at verses 27 and 28. It says, She had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, If I touch even his garment, I will be made well. And so after 12 years of suffering and after 12 years of torment and being an outcast, this woman heard of Jesus and believed. If I can touch only his garment, I will be made well. This is amazing childlike faith we see here. She heard of Jesus. She believed in Jesus. And she acted upon her faith by approaching him and touching his garment. She expressed faith in the Son of God. And again we see her faith when Jesus turned around and said, Who touched me? And she could have hid But we see her faith when she came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. Jesus, it was me. I've suffered for 12 years. For 12 years, I could not be part of community. I've been desperately ill. I've heard about you. And I knew if I could only touch you, you will make me well. I know I was not allowed to touch you because I was unclean. I'm sorry, but I did touch you. And I'm healed now. And for a second time in this passage, we see someone approaching Jesus and falling on their knees before him. Worshipping the Son of God. To having faith in the midst of hopelessness set these two people apart to receive power from God for healing. The outcome in both scenarios are miraculous. As Jesus walks into the room where Jairus' daughter lay dead, We see an amazing showdown. We see Jesus and death in the same room. We see the lifeless, pale child. And we see Jesus Christ, the life giver. And from that room, only one victor could emerge. And so Jesus reached out, took her by the hand and said, child arise and immediately she arose Jesus performed a miracle he showed his power over death he emerges as the victor and what a foreshadowing that was to the day when he would finally triumph over death in his own body when he was raised from the dead And I think that day in that girl's room, death must have known I will never be able to hold him down. He has power over death. 
Similarly, we see this great miraculous power in the case of the woman. Without announcing it, without making a scene, without him even knowing, she approached him from behind and touched him. And in that moment, she was healed. After 12 years of torment, Jesus broke the power of her sickness immediately. You see, I am showed up that day. Jesus didn't have to touch her, speak to her. He was enough to heal her. And she believed in him and she touched him and she was instantly healed. Church, he is a powerful, miracle-working God. But you know, there's a third parallel in this story. And it is your story. This morning in this church, there are many who are experiencing hopeless situations of your own. There may be some people who are struggling with physical hopelessness, who've been sick for years, who've been prayed for many times, and you remain sick. And hopelessness is just waiting to creep in. There are people who have lost jobs and have looked for jobs for so long without finding jobs. There are scores of relational difficulties like we've prayed for in the beginning. And these may be your own hopeless situations. There are many people who struggle spiritually. Struggling just, Lord, I cannot believe you allow this in my life. I struggle to believe that you are good to me. I struggle to believe that you are good when all seems to go wrong in my family. I struggle with depression. Struggle with thinking that you are a good God. This is hopeless to me. Or maybe this morning you're not a Christian. And if you are not a Christian, whether you know this or not, without Jesus Christ, your life faces much hopelessness. Your current sufferings is without hope. Your future is uncertain. And there's no certainty and no hope for heaven or eternity with God. If you're, a Christ, if you're a non-Christian, please realize something, that when we read stories of miracles like we did this morning, those miracles are really pictures that Jesus used to show what he does in the spiritual kingdom. Because the healing that all humans need more than any physical healing of sickness is to be delivered from sin. 
And the death that we need to be delivered from, more than physical death, is spiritual death which will separate us from God in all eternity. And what these two stories tell you is that Jesus is willing and is able to heal you from spiritual sickness, from your sin, and from spiritual death. He can do that if we trust in him. Listen to Isaiah 55 or 6 to 9. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. If you're a non-Christian, please do not delay in trusting God for your salvation. And if you ask, Josh, I do not have faith for that. I don't know how to do that. Ask God. He is the giver of faith. Do not delay. Church, here's a note. Being desperate, if you are in your own desperate, hopeless situation, this is not bad news. I'll tell you what bad news is. If you are desperate and you don't know it, if you are desperate and you don't have hope in Christ, that's bad news. But being desperate and knowing the Savior is great news. And I've seen in my own life how many times in the desperate times that I struggle with the most physically, those are the times when I'm drawn into the arms of our almighty loving God. Desperation is not bad if we know God. So it is grace that this passage calls us to respond. It is intended to give us hope in our hopelessness. And so we ask, how do we respond? Well, church, what we do is we do what they did. We acknowledge our hopelessness in Christ. Whether that be a spiritual hopelessness or a physical hopelessness, you find yourself and we acknowledge that before Christ and we put our faith in Him because He can heal our sickness. He can save an unsaved child. He can give you a job. He can forgive your sins. So am I saying this morning that faith is required because faith is what saves us? It's not what I'm saying. It is not our faith or the measure of our faith that heals us. Although faith is required and it is the mode by which God heals and saves us, it is God and God alone, the object of our faith, that heals us that saves us, that delivers us, and that sets us free. Hear how Charles Spurgeon says it. He says, For remember that it is not this woman's finger that saved her. It was Christ whom she touched. True, the healing came by the act of faith, but the act of faith is not the healing. The healing lies in the person 
so that you are not to be looking to your faith, but to Jesus the Lord. The strongest faith a man ever had, if it did not rest in Christ, damned him. The weakest faith ever man or woman had, if it did but terminate in the precious person and all-sufficient work of Jesus, would certainly save. God is the one who saves us, church. So why do we have faith? Why do we need faith? Well, we need faith because Hebrews 11 and verse 6 says, And without faith it is impossible, impossible to please God. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who seek Him. So the reason we must have faith is not to impress God enough that He will act on our behalf. And our faith is not strong-arming God to do what we would like Him to do. No, our faith is to please God and to glorify God. See, when we trust God, when we honor Him, we acknowledge, like Jairus did and like this woman did, we are saying, Lord, I trust You because I cannot. I cannot overcome this battle, but you, you, you are the almighty God. You are my rock and you are my fortress. You are my salvation. You are God above all. You're the only one who can rescue me from my hopelessness. And that kind of faith brings glory to our God because it exalts our God. Faith in the midst of hopelessness pleases and honors God. But I want to answer a question that may be on some people's minds, either now or it may be in future, and it is this. Josh, I've been sick, and I've been prayed for many times, and I have faith that God can heal me, but I'm still sick. Or fill in your own hopelessness. Is this because, is this because I don't have faith? Is this because I sin? Is this because God does not love me? And it's somewhat of a tough question to answer, church, because ultimately our sovereign God rules over life and death. And we have no demand before Him. We only have petition. But I do want to say three things. If you find yourself in this place, this desperate place, this morning, I want to remind you that sickness is a result of the fall. And so we live in a world and we have bodies that are aging and that are decaying. And this earth and our bodies will continue to age and decay until one day when it is made new. 1 Corinthians 15 says we are changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, and this perishable body will put on imperishable, and this mortal body will, be, will put on immortality. So know that even if your body here on earth continues to decay, there will come a day 
when your body will put on immortality. Yes. In that day, that will be the only time when we are perfectly healed. Secondly, I want to say that it is important for us as Christians to realize that God does not always answer our prayers exactly the way we want it. Even in our story this morning, we see that Jairus' prayer was not answered exactly how he wanted it. He asked, Jesus, come pray for my sick child and she will be well. And so while he expressed faith to God, what happened first was not that she was healed. What happened first is that she died. And his situation went even worse. But then we see him as God turned to him and said, Jairus, do not fear, only believe. And the result, he raised her from the dead. And so if you find yourself in a place of hopelessness because of years of struggle, I want to tell you this morning, do not fear, only believe. The answer may be different than what you expect, but we have a God who promises that his plans for us are good. And while you remain sick or while you wait for your spouse's conversion or while you wait for the dark depression to lift, remember this from James chapter 1, that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect. Hear this, church. Let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. While you wait for God to heal you, trust that He is busy sustaining you. And while He is sustaining you, He's doing a precious work to perfect you. It may be more precious what he's doing than healing you right at that moment. Do not fear, only believe. Thirdly, I want to say that know this that God's love for you is never in question. And all you have to do is to look at the cross. Where Jesus Christ laid down his life to redeem your life. And you can know God's love for you is not in question. So church, in response to this passage, here's what we do. We fall down at Jesus' feet. We confess our hopelessness. We express our faith in Him and then we wait for His power to be displayed. May He give us a measure of faith and willing hearts to approach Him boldly and may we see His power over hopelessness in each of your lives. Amen.
I want to pray for us before we go on. Jesus, as humans, we often come to you with an agenda. We come to you because we want our needs met at any cost. Rather than trusting you to show your power in our lives in the way that you know best. Lord, this morning I want to pray for my brothers and sisters and for myself that you will help us to have faith in the midst of hopelessness. I pray that the story of Jairus and this woman would ring true to us and will teach us to have faith in the midst of hopelessness, faith that will honor you, faith that will please you, not faith that wants to force you to do anything that we want. So Lord, help us as we worship now. Help us to turn to you and to have faith that you are willing and able to overcome our hopeless situations. We trust you, Lord.